Welcome to another episode of Free and Clear. I'm John Collins, the founder of William Branham Historical Research at william-branham.org. And with me, I have Naomi Wright, the founder of beembolden.com. And we're asking the difficult questions that people have about religious abuse, breaking them down into simple terms, and helping people to become free and clear. Naomi, this has been a roller coaster of a week. How are you handling it? Well, John, I am I'm having this this moment right now of okay, what do I need to do today so that I can keep going? So that I can wow. do tomorrow as well. <laughs> and I think I think there are a lot of people who would listen to this who would probably get that. I'm seeing the same thing all over. I mean, people who are contacting me, I'm watching in our support groups, I'm watching the tone shift with the world conflict going on right now and all of the many things that are going on right now. People, especially people who have been in this type of religious abuse, are really struggling over the conflicts. Yes, and I'm seeing the conflict get made even bigger. I'm seeing more more problems coming out of it instead of just addressing the issue at hand. All of a sudden things are boiling up. You know, things are boiling right. over. Sorry. And so I'm not going to be well spoken today. For anyone who's listening, I'm going to probably trip on my words. Um <laughs> please bear with me. I will give you the best that I have today. I was once told, it was back in 2015, actually, I remember this. I was told by someone that an expectation that's fair is someone's reasonable best. And so that is my nugget for all of you today. What is your reasonable best right now? And that's not going to be, it's not going to look the same day to day or hour to hour, but our reasonable best is what we can give. And so I promise to give you that today, but just know it's different than my reasonable best on other days. <laughs> <laughs> well, and not, not to be a downer for anybody listening, but I'm in the same category. Our family is going through some very, very difficult trials right now. Um, it's one thing that I've learned after leaving a religious cult that promises you heaven on, well, not heaven on earth, but heaven after earth if you can suffer through this life. Then after leaving the group, they tell you that all of your catastrophes are because you left the group, regardless of whether you had the same struggles in the group. That That is an overwhelming feeling when you actually go through trials, and our family is really struggling with a few trials right now. So I'm in the same category, and why don't we do this? We have a series of questions that we had planned to discuss today, but with everything going on, and, you know, everybody's mind is so much engaged in this conflict between Russia and Ukraine, plus all of the political turmoil that's going on in the United States and other countries— Let's just go off the script and let's have a casual conversation about the status of events in, in today's uh, political turmoil. Absolutely. I think that's great. Uh, I'm on board. And I'd like to start with <clears throat> some different things that are being done in groups like this with the information of what's going on right now in Europe. Right. And the disinformation that's going on. Yes. 
So some of what I've seen, and John, I'm curious to hear, you know, if you've seen anything additional or anything just different, um, I've heard it come up that this Easter will be the day of the rapture because this is going to, of course, ignite World War III. Um, and I mean, of course, is in that's, of course, what we're hearing. And that the rapture would have to occur before that uh, because people would not be here for true believers would not remain on earth for World War III. And there's been a history of, you know, in this group of the rapture occurring, you know, on Easter or around Easter from my knowledge. And so that's something that has come up. I've also seen some just additional painful interactions, or I've heard of them. I haven't actually witnessed them, but I've heard of some additional painful interactions where it seems like leaders are really tightening up and making some, some big moves because the rapture's coming supposedly and so they're using this as as ammunition um to kind of speed up the agenda Mm -hmm. and it's causing so much fear and to be completely honest a world war in and of itself is incredibly fear inducing for anyone (laughs) and so we already have that i don't know that we need more right And I'm just going to pause there and let you jump in. But basically, I'm seeing this be used to create all kinds of additional fear when this in and of itself can have concern, as well as is incredibly heartbreaking for those who are who are being killed right now and who are losing their their countries and their their families are being divided. All of this that's actually going on between Russia and Ukraine is is overwhelming, I think, emotionally, mentally at times in and of itself without all this extra yeah well think of it like this cult leaders and the people that they elect to help them maintain the group and grow and and um spread whatever ideologies that they're trying to spread are very good businessmen and the a cult would not survive if it were not operating like a business you have to have income you have i mean look at ukraine the war that they're engaging in right now cannot be fought if they don't have a supply chain, if they don't have the weapons, if they don't have the people, the logistics. It takes a, it really takes a business operation to make something, to make a movement continue forward and grow. A cult is no different. A cult has to operate and function like a business. And whenever there is a good opportunity for marketing, that's when the cult are the cults are going to strike the hardest. When there is a global fear, they're going to capitalize on that fear. When there's a global unrest, they're going to capitalize on that unrest. And you know, I, I speak from personal experience from the cult that I escaped, that my family escaped, because it was a cult that capitalized on the fear of the world war and Russian invasion, etc. But I have to take a step back from that. Look at the sheer number of cults that are claiming my cult leader prophesied that this would come. This is the end. I mean, Pat Robertson, just what was it yesterday, the day before, he, he claimed this is the end of the world. This is Armageddon. 
because Russia has invaded Ukraine and Russia is this big feared entity in the United States. And they all seem to overlook history. It wasn't just, what was it, 2014 was the last time Russia invaded Ukraine and they they took, uh, what was it, Crimea. You know, Mm -hmm. this has been going on for as long as history records, there has been some country invading some country, right? So cults are going to capitalize on this and they're going to use that fear. And unfortunately for the victims of the cults, they're going to have an already dreadful situation that is very scary. I'm not going to lie, it is a very scary thing. The the plausible outcome that this could, you know, that, that could happen as a result of this. People are already afraid of this, and the cult leaders are using that to make their fear cripple their members. Yes, and you guys, what does crippling fear do? It makes you very easy to control and to manipulate. And that's that's what I'm concerned about. That's what we are concerned about. And that's how they that's how they that's how they win. That's how the cult leaders win. That's how they keep people under their thumb, telling them what to do, getting them to be obedient, getting them to, you know, quote unquote shape up getting them to stay away from society, getting them to limit information in ways as well, which is something that's so fascinating to me because some of these groups, you know, they're not even supposed to have televisions. They're not supposed to have Mm. smartphones. They're not supposed to be watching and taking in information. And yet, I mean, in my house growing up, John, people like right now, everyone would be glued to the news. <laughs> Just nothing right. else all day long yeah. watching the news because they're they're mm-hmm. they're getting that information because they're feeding off of it because it's giving them again the ammunition they need right. for the agenda and the message that they're teaching. And so this is the exception. We can all read and listen and watch this. But otherwise, it's all bad. You know, think about the information control that's happening right. and the thought control that's happening, you know, to reference the the bite model again. And good heavens, I just I want to reflect back on history as well. Like you were saying this, even if God, please let there not be a world war. If there is, it's the third one. It's not the first one. And the other two were not Armageddon. Mm -hmm. And so we don't know (laughs) that that's the case. And so people who are walking around claiming that they have this definitive knowledge, they don't have that. It's untrue. It's a lie. And how do we know that this, like you just said, John, how do we know that this is different than the last time the Ukraine was um, attacked by Russia? And yes, I know that this is looking a bit different and and all of that. So I understand. And someone could obviously say that back to us of, well, this is this is different than just the eastern part. And there, you know, I understand that. My point is, this isn't the first time, you know, and we just heard so much with COVID as well. That, oh, all of this, you know, COVID means all of these things. And this is just the way that these groups operate. It's just their MO. It's how they do it. They will, like you said, they will capitalize on any any drama, any trauma, any political unrest, and they're going to use it and they're going to use it against you. And so I want all of you to please 
really engage your minds as you take in this information, as you take in information from us and as you're taking in information from other places, please think about this critically. What is different about this time than the previous times? And how do we even know for sure? Right. You know, it's funny. I I grew up in a cult that was spreading propaganda of doomsday. And I can remember whenever the Iraqi war happened and Bill Clinton had just gained office and the cult that I escaped, they had, <clears throat> they had this very, very vague prophecy of a woman being a president or vice president, or maybe it's the Catholic church. I mean, it was so vague and broad, it could mean anything. But because because Hillary Clinton was so overbearing towards her husband, Bill, and Bill Clinton was in office, they started claiming this is the fulfillment of the female president prophecy because he's actually controlled by his wife. And then the Iraqi war happened. I mean, it was, again, it's, it's a very, very horrific thing. There were a lot of innocent lives who were lost during this conflict. They went in with the same aggression that, that Russia is having right now, and then suddenly there was fear of nuclear threat. So it's the same exact scenario. It's happening years later with a different country, obviously. But <clears throat> during that time, these religious leaders were picking out these little verses here and there out of the book of Revelation and other chapters in the Bible. And I remember this guy showing me this newspaper clipping that he had figured out that it was, we had like, I don't know how many months remaining until the end of days because they had just found a red heifer. And the red heifer is mentioned in the Bible and Bill Clinton's in office and he's controlled by his wife Hillary. And it's the sign of the end of days. And, you know, if you take a step back from all of this, like you said, historically just think about what has happened not just world war one and two but through the centuries through the millennia of time that there have been global conflict look at all of the different religious groups that have said this is this is it this is the end of days it is no more in our in our recent american history we look at america's world war uh, america's involvement in world war one in the same way Every single Christian, I, I use that word loosely, Christian, but I don't really consider them this. These people who are Christian opportunists who are using fear to manipulate people. I really don't consider that Christian any longer. But during World War I, they were using that fear to scare people into conforming to their ideologies so they could make a buck or two through tithe. Then World War II ended. There was this brief moment of freedom where the world is celebrating because World War I had ended. Then suddenly the fear that there might be a second world war, same exact thing happened. There were all of these religious manipulators who were capitalizing on that fear. Take a step back from that. Take a step back from the history. The Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. And we're all striving for perfect love. If you're a Christian, that should be your number one goal. Jesus said the entire law and the prophets, in other words, the entire Old Testament 
of the Mosaic Law, the entire set of books that were written by the prophets. This entire Old Testament is summed up in one thing. Love your neighbor as yourself and love God above all other gods. I mean, it's that simple. But these ministers have decided to create a different agenda. It's one not grounded in love, and they want to manipulate through fear. And if you take a step back from this and try to separate what they're doing from what is true Christianity, the Christianity of the Bible, they are in no way compatible. Gosh, and it is that simple. It is as simple as those two commands. And then we hear, oh, you're a woman and you took scissors to your hair. And so now your salvation is in question. I mean, how do we get here? This doesn't make this doesn't make sense. It doesn't align with the very book that people are claiming to uphold. If it doesn't align with the book you're claiming to uphold, what are you actually upholding instead? Right. There's something else. And oftentimes you are going to find that it is the leadership who again is desiring to control and manipulate and yes, capitalize in some way. Some groups are on the poorer side. It's less about financial than it is about power and prestige and just control for the sake of control. For some people, that's what they want. But the leader is getting something or the the leadership at large is getting something out of the deal. And they're doing it at the expense of the congregation or the followers. And to see an ex- a situation like this, which is so painful to watch, to see what is, is going on in the Ukraine again, to see what's going on with the families and just any of these wars that we look back on, you know, even even the losses, you know, the losses through COVID, all of the, you know, the deaths, the people that died that would would still be here had this pandemic not hit. And we look at all of these tragedies and all of this suffering. And that alone is enough. And then to have someone come along peddling a false gospel in order to get something out of it. And again, they're doing it at the cost of you. Right. And I want people to pause and think about that. What, what does the Bible actually say? And again, you may not believe that the, the Bible is an error. You may not believe that the Bible is truth. You may be listening to this and and not be sure what you believe. And and that's okay. We're here for it. We're here for you. We're not here for one one position or another. Our point that we make is that if you're going to believe in God, Jesus, the Bible, Scripture, then you've got to know what it actually says. And the biggest point I want to make on this conversation is that we are told that we do not know when Jesus is going to return. We don't know. And I know we mentioned in our previous episode, the rapture is only two, 300 years old of a concept. So we don't, we don't know that that's actually a thing. We don't know right. that that's actually even going to happen. So you're, you're getting threatened with missing out on something that isn't very sound. Um, Again, that's that. There's no real mention of that historically, up until two, three hundred years ago. So I don't know that you can miss it because I I don't know that it's even for real. I don't know that it's going to happen. 
And that's something you can decide. Like some Christians do believe that and that's totally fine. Right. This is why it's not a primary issue. It's not our first, uh, it's not something we all even have to agree on because ultimately it doesn't actually matter for salvation. So whether you believe in the rapture or not, you believe in the tribulation, and if you think we're in the millennium or we're not, you know, there's all these different views about end times and and the final days. What ultimately matters is that Jesus said, have enough oil in your lamp and and keep going. Um, Be ready. And so we should always be considering, hmm, if it happened today, would I be ready? And we don't know when it's going to happen. And there's there's freedom in that because you don't have to spend so much time on numerology. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's one one thing that people spend time on. But good heavens. So John, again, in my household, so much numerology, which really fascinates me because, yes, numbers are used as um, – a representative for things in the Bible. There are certain numbers, you know, that show completion or wholeness. And so, yes, there is some symbolism in numbers in scripture. Um, and yet it's, it's not really a Christian concept to be trying to calculate a bunch of numbers and read into a bunch of numbers. We kind of head off in a, in a different worldview and we start to do that really heavily. And my family did it all the time. Everything was, well, we're adding up this number and that number. We're reading into this number. We had numbers that were tracked on our calendar <laughs> in our kitchen. Literally. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, what are we doing, people? Like, we're supposed to be loving God, loving our neighbor, and moving forward so that when he shows up, we're ready. And I do want to add, when I say we're ready, this isn't some high pressured, I have to be perfect by the time he gets here. You're not going to achieve that. That's what his death, that's what Jesus's death, his sacrifice, his resurrection was for, because you're not going to achieve perfection. So that's not what you're trying to get ready for either. And yet that's what your cult leader is telling you. You got to make sure you obey everything. You got to make sure you, you dot every I and you cross every T because otherwise when he shows up, you're not going to be ready. You don't even need him. Right. If you succeeded in that, you don't need them at all. So just go be something else. What's What's funny is Irenaeus, the first Christian apologist, said that all of these various groups, the Gnostics, were using vain numerologies because they were based off of the pagan worship of the sun, moon, and stars. The fives, and I may get this totally wrong. It's been a long time since I've looked at it, but I think the fives were the moon cycles. The sevens were the seasons of growth and famine. Every seventh season was, um, you know, plant bountiful harvest. The threes were the the waxing and waning of the um, the sun, etc. I mean. Every single number that these Christians use was condemned by the very first Christian apologist as complete heresy. And he said that they were using them to try to strive for perfection. And when that didn't work, they started just, you know, mutilating their flesh and they started abstaining from sex. And so some groups actually died out because they didn't have sex anymore. So the entire group died out. That's how bad this was. It's it's a great read if you can understand it, Irenaeus against heresies. What I find really unusual about the situation that we're in right now, and I find it unusual in the same way in which I found the Iraq War unusual. Picture this, Naomi. You and I 
we've made a, a really good friendship. Say that we had some sort of conflict. I don't know what it is. And you decide, okay, I'm done with John. And I am beholden to this idea that Russia is going to invade and it's doomsday and it's the end of the world. And you're like, no, John, that's that's incredibly stupid. Look at World War One. Look at World War Two. This didn't happen. You know, this is the same scenario, just in a different age. And I say, no, Naomi, ha ha, you're going to die. What kind of a world are we living in where I would even say something like that? But yet I'm watching this happen. I'm literally watching cult members who are ridiculing non-cult members saying that they're going to die and ha-ha, I'm right and you're not. That's the kind of Christianity, quote-unquote Christianity, this thing is breeding. It's people who don't even care or value the lives of those who leave. What I'm learning is it really has nothing to do with religion. It is all about the ideology that the cult leader implanted and persuaded and manipulated them to believe, and it's an opinion. They, their opinion is that Russia is going to invade and it's the end of the world, and if you don't share that same opinion, then who cares what you believe? Who cares if you're even a Christian? I'm going, I as a cult member, I'm going to ridicule you because you have a different opinion than me on a political situation. That's what I'm seeing. And it's, I mean, quite frankly, it's just, it blows my mind that this could even happen. It's horrifying. And I appreciate that you put quotes around your use of the word Christianity when you were speaking, because no, there's nothing about that that is Christian. And you're right, there's ridicule. And then it's beyond ridicule. To to be championing that people may die, you are or in, in your mind, if you fall into this category, not you, John, but in this example, if you are someone out there who's listening, who's thinking, yeah, these people have got what they've got coming for them. They're going to get it and and they're they're going to die and they're going to go to hell and they're going to have eternal damnation and that's the end of them and haha I was right and they were wrong. In what world, how in your mind have you reconciled that with your call to love your neighbor as yourself? In what world do you have the heart position you're supposed to have that God has in his mercy? And in his grace and in his love, how are you mirroring and being like God? My concern for that person would be, again, sticking within this context would be, are you going to be one of those people who will stand before Christ one day and he'll say, I didn't know you? Because that's not reflective of the heart of God. Right. What's really sad is I'm <clears throat> I'm watching the news, I'm following it because it's of interest to me. This is something that we will remember through history as a horrific time. And I'm watching different religious responses. Islam. They're dreadfully sorry that this is happening to the people of Ukraine. They're not Christians, they're followers of Muhammad. It's Islam. I mean they're they're not they're not what we would consider, that's not what most Christians would consider godly, but yet they're following Jesus's commandment, love, love God, love your neighbor. Granted, it's a different God than the Christian God, but they're acting more Christian than these cults are acting Christian. In Thailand, I'm watching the 
you know, Buddhism. I'm watching the same thing. They want to send supplies. They want to send humanitarian aid. In all of this, I'm watching the cults just ridicule the people who have left and have the different opinion, and they're not even really caring for what's happening in the country. Who, who cares if the people are dying as long as I'm right because my prophet quote-unquote predicted this would happen? So I'm right, and these people can die, and it's okay. It makes me think of, I'm going to give a really um, a mild example. When I was growing up, we, of course, one would likely assume we were spanked. So we had that kind of discipline in our household. And there were times where it was, well, was it Naomi or was it her brother? You know, who did it? Who Who's responsible for this uh, s- sinful behavior? And so... Most often, to, to this is fair, and if my brother listens to this, which he won't, um, he would have to agree. It usually was him. Um, so usually it was him, and that would come out, and sometimes I was the one who said it was him. So I was a snitch, and I'd say it was him. And I didn't want to get in trouble, so it was like, well, this is this is his fault. He's he's going to get what he's supposed to, to get. But I never actually had this feeling of, well, I'm glad he's going to get it. In fact, when he would get in trouble, I'd have to walk outside because I'd be crying and I couldn't hear him get punished. It broke my heart. And I think about just how beautiful that is in childhood. Like children, they can get mad. They can get upset. They can be like, that person took my toy. That person said something mean. And they can want to walk up and just punch someone. (laughs) You know, just I'm going to go knock that kid over. But then they feel bad that they hurt them. They don't actually want... The, the child to be in pain, at least for a prolonged period of time. They, they want the consequence. They want the kid to get in trouble. They want the teacher or the parent to step in and make the situation right. And then they want to move forward and keep playing with this other child. In these cults, what we're doing is we're saying, hey, maybe I feel like you've done something to me, or I just know that you don't you don't believe the way I do. And so I don't only want you to to get spanked, I don't only want you to have a period of discipline. I want you to go to hell forever. Right. For eternity. Does I mean, some of these people are your family members, you guys. Some of them are your children, your parents, your cousins, your aunts and uncles, your grandparents. And some of them, yeah, they're strangers. But can you imagine they have families? They have brothers and sisters and parents and children and aunts and uncles and grandparents. And this is what you would wish for them. For, for eternity, this is eternal that we're talking about. This is you're never coming out of it. And that's what you would wish on them. Now, I can understand when we look at people who have done horrible things. We look at murderers. We look at pedophiles. We look at horrible people. And we can say, we want justice for what has been done. Some of us who have left where we look back and we say, we want justice for what was done by our, our cult leader, even though we're an ex-member. We want to see justice for that pain that we went through. We want justice for that. How can you say for someone that just has a differing view, I want, I want eternity for that person. Eternal. And I mean, sorry, I want eternal damnation for that person. Right. We need to take a look at our own hearts if we want that. Because even when I look at people who are in the cults, the leadership in the cults, some people will honestly, they will throw mud at me for this, John. But I'm like, I don't know if I want them to have eternal damnation. I just want them to have some punishment. Like I want them to, yeah, like I want some reparation for that. 
But can I say eternal? I mean, I would much rather see them turn their hearts and genuinely repent and apologize. I'd much rather, I will take an ex-cult leader any day. I would, I love that. I have, I've seen it and it's rare, but it has happened. And I want to see these leaders step out and say, I was wrong. Forgive me. I will forgive them in a second for that. Like, that's what we want. We want reparation, but we want reconciliation. And that's just not what we hear. It's just not what we're hearing out there. And it's, it's so, it's really alarming. I was just thinking as you were talking, there's one thing that's surprisingly missing from all of this. I'm getting all kinds of hate mail from people who are saying, look, you're wrong. I now, now look what's happening. The prophet said this, that, or the other, and now it's proven that you're wrong. You're going to suffer in hell for the rest of your days or whatever. What's, what's missing from this? I've not had one, not one single family member say, oh my gosh, John, what if this is it? Please come back. Please be saved. Please don't suffer the wrath of God that's to come. Not one single family member. Not one. And many of the people that I've talked to in the support groups, it's the same way. The families, their own flesh and blood, would rather watch them suffer and be right than possibly be wrong and, and you know, the, their opinion that they've had for all of these years be wrong. What's interesting is... I've done this deep study on the history of the opinion that they formed in Russia. If you go to the website, william-branham.org, go to the blog, and you'll see a series of posts that I'm putting to help people who are, who are struggling with this Ukrainian conflict. And it's not just limited to the message. If you, the message of William Branham, if you are not a a former member of William Branham's cult, but you're a member of a different cult, this still may be for you. I remember reading, I can't remember, it's Charisma magazine or one of the Christian Christian right magazines. They were talking about William Branham's successful prophecies of 1933. And this was one of them that they listed, that Russia, that communist Russia would invade the United States and the Russians would storm the shores of the United States right before the end of days. That's one of his alleged prophecies. He claimed in the 1950s, he began claiming that he said this in 1933. Think about this. This was during the Red Scare, I th- during the second Red Scare, actually. This has happened in the past, like we've mentioned. Everybody in the All of these men who are manipulating others through fear are using the second Red Scare as a means towards attracting new recruits into their cults or their ideologies or just simply to make money. They're using decades ago the second Red Scare. Now we're entering into what may eventually become the third Red Scare. And, and you're going to hear the same thing from the same types of men. But there was this period of time where the world had peace. I've listened to NATO. I've listened to all through Europe. They're talking, look what Russia has done. We had peace for almost, for what was it, over 50 years. We have had peace since world, 1945. We've had peace. All of these years we've had peace, and Russia is ruining the peace of the world. 
Now, that isn't to say there, there hasn't been wars. There's been conflicts. I know the Iraq war is one of them. But nothing threatened global peace until right now, years later. It's the worst catastrophe that has threatened world peace since 1945. And you'll find it all over the news. Part of William Branham's prophecy that all of these different splinter groups and even groups who are, are greatly disconnected from William Branham, part of that prophecy was that whenever, whenever I, I think he said when Ethiopia, whenever Mussolini goes into Ethiopia, there will never be peace again on earth. And at the time he, made, at the time he claimed to have made this prophecy, there were, we were in the Red Scare. We were scared that communist Russia was going to invade, and there was a threat to peace. W William Branham never predicted accurately that there—he would have never foreseen that there would be a decades of peace, but we had it. What's interesting is, over time, he actually reversed that prophecy. He began— his initial claim was that he called them isms. It was the prophecy, the 1933 prophecy of the isms. He said that communism would rise up and it would consume Nazism. So he's talking about communism invading Germany. And he says it would consume fascism. So he's talking about Italy, talking about Rome. And he says the whole world would wind up in one ism, and that was communism. And that didn't happen. The Communist Party of Germany just completely fizzled out. It's non-existent today. Germany is not communist. So Russia did not convert Nazism to communism. Fascism still exists. Italy, Rome is still part of fascism. Germany is a democratic republic now. It's not communist or Nazi. <clears throat> but all of, all of this, none of the details of that prophecy were accurate. And during his lifespan, William Branham realized that they weren't accurate. He found an article describing a statistic about communism. He said only 1% of Russia is communist. And so he began reversing that prophecy to claim that instead, Romanism would invade communism and <laughs> would stamp out communism. So he completely reversed it to the polar opposite of the prophecy. Then, right before the end of his life, whenever there were so many successful Christian ministers going into Russia and having these revivals, making lots of money, he started claiming that Russian, Russian soil was fertile for Christian revival. And he said, all we need is one prophet with, quote-unquote, thus saith the Lord, to enter in Russia, and we would stamp out communism. Now think about that. His original prophecy was that communism would grow to the extent that Russian boots would be on the ground on American soil, and that prophecy shifted so much over time that communism wasn't even going to exist if I myself, the hero of the last days, can go to Russian soil and invade with my religion. That's how broadly different that this is. And if people can just take a step back and see what he was doing, capitalizing fear through all of these different points in his own history... It, it eliminates the fear of today. So I've created this timeline, and you can watch how that prophecy transitions from the first time it was introduced in the early 1950s 
all the way until the end of his life in 1965. You can watch this thing morph as the political scene of the world changed. So, John, can you play this out for me? So if he said that he needed, you know, if only he could go to Russia, communism would be stamped out. But then he dies in a car accident. So he didn't get to go to Russia to stamp it out. So so what how does that play out in the minds of followers? Here's what's interesting. So cults have we've talked about this before. Cults have this loaded language. I call it overloaded keywords. They have Mm -hmm. this loaded language that only the cult knows. One of the phrases that he had and used, and you'll recognize it immediately when I say it, is from a sermon that he plagiarized from C.L. Franklin. One of William Branham's fundamental sermons to his cult following is the eagle in her nest. As the eagle stirreth her nest. Every cult member that is in William Branham's cult has heard that sermon I will guarantee you that only a fractional percentage are aware that C.L. Franklin first preached the sermon, The Eagle in Her Nest. William Branham basically took the idea, plagiarized it, and created a, a fundamental cult doctrine. In that cult doctrine, he claimed that the, the passage that it was referring to, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's where the carcasses the eagles will gather. That passage was so completely taken out of context of what it was. If you look at the original language that, that was being used in that passage, it's basically saying it is so blatantly obvious. It would be like me saying, I, I don't know, when I prick my finger, there will be red. In other words, if I prick my finger, it's definitely going to be red because it's bleeding, right? It, mm-hmm. The passage, the language just simply means that it will happen as plain as day. That's how we would say it in today's English. It's as plain as day. But back then, the, the plain as day phrase was, was used like this. Because think about it. In the Old Testament, eagles were condemned as abominable. And you would never refer to Christianity and the morals of Christianity as the carcass, especially in the times of Jesus. Carcass is rotten flesh. It's dying, rotten flesh that will make you sick. This would never have been a phrase that was used to describe the good thing. It was, it was literally used to describe it's as plain as day. William Branham used the overloaded language that was where the carcasses the eagles were gather and every cult member is aware that when he says carcass he's referring to himself and his quote unquote message and when he refers to eagles he's referring to the cult members who are recruited there are there are even songs about this i am an eagle right mm-hmm. this is all throughout the cult Whenever William Branham reversed his prophecy and started claiming that Russian was fertile soil for the prophet with thus saith the Lord, which, oh, by the way, he's referring to himself, he includes Russia in the phrase where the carcasses the eagles will gather. In other words, if I go there, I'm going to recruit Russians. But since he didn't go there... Is there a way that this prophecy is still trying to be held on to today? Or has it kind of just been left for dead? Because usually they resuscitate them. 
that would be typical. Not many people are aware of this. Um, okay. <laughs> th- this is local history to Jeffersonville that that they will uh, they will vehemently deny now today. But there was a time whenever that was used as a prophecy, and Colt headquarters was trying very hard to get into Russia. In fact, if you get on Google and you do a search for Joseph Branham Absolute, I think you'll find the William Branham's son, Joseph Branham, in Russia, offending all of the Russian Christians who are listening, saying that whatever my dad says is the absolute. It's it's above the Bible. It's above everything. It's the absolute. This this caused a great problem for him in Russia because Russian Christians were like, no, your your dad is not the absolute. My Bible is the absolute. And you can find these videos online. Well, there was an initiative to get into Russia and to convert. And there were, it seems like I remember even pamphlets being passed out. They were claiming that this was one of the prophecies that he had. So as soon as we get into Russia, the rapture will come. I can remember Christian minister, well, I say quote-unquote Christian cult ministers who were saying that exact same thing because cult headquarters was saying it. If we can get into Russia, if we can convert Russians, then glory to God, we'll all be raptured. Well, what happened was, after Joseph Branham goes in and he starts claiming that his dad is above the Bible and the words, I I want to use the the analogy he used, but it was something ridiculous, like, and I'm just pulling out of the top of my head, if I shoot a gun and, and the the bullet misses the target, but my dad says that it hit the target, then my dad is still right, even though it missed the target. It was that bad of an analogy. And what happened was, it caused a lot of people in Russia to wake up and realize that, no, something's not right here. This is a cult. And St. Petersburg University started digging into William Branham's sermons, and they found out that William Branham was using the techniques of mind control in his sermons. And there were a whole series of sermons that are actually banned in Russia because he is using um, neuro-linguistic programming, which is basically tools to manipulate and brainwash people. So in Russia... Even if it were this prophecy that they began claiming, even that failed because Russia basically kicked him out and said, no, you can't do this. This is wrong what you're doing to people. So this is interesting to me. Basically, all of this applied in my group, but it was more about Africa instead of Russia. And what I find interesting about that is it's it's what again the groups do it's it's a lot of the same concepts and the same methods but the details are different and right. in that they then claim that they're the ones that actually have it right maybe the other ones are close but they're still deceived they don't quite have it right and that's again used for the elitism of the group and you know the dissension between them and anyone else so I'm just, I'm processing everything you just said. I'm thinking, wow, that sounds really familiar to what I was being taught. Not exactly the same, but definitely similar. Right. But again, it was, it was about Africa. And I tend not to share this information. I feel comfortable sharing it, you know, on this podcast with you and with our listeners here, because 
of just good heavens. It's just, it's awful and it sounds awful and it was awful. Um, but that is, Africa is where it was believed my dad went after he died, that he was teaching and preaching in Africa. And usually I just say, you know, it was taught that he was teaching and preaching somewhere else. Um, because the, there's an implication there and that would tie back to our racism conversations of Africa needed this, this white quote unquote Christian man with the actual truth to come and save them and send them over to the United States to the hub where we were living so that they could actually, you know, find the the truth and be saved. And it's a very, uh, it's an incredibly, discriminatory view to hold and it was held right. on to like I said past my dad even dying like that's it's that's I don't know if they still believe he's there right now because I don't I'm not privy to that information anymore but they definitely believed that at the time um, and for quite a few years later for sure and so again these similarities everyone they they're strong ties between yes different splinter groups of William Brenham specifically, but if you expand out and you look at other cults, which is something that I love to do, um, because with the work I'm doing, and I know, John, there's some overlap here with you, it's not um, it's not Brenham specific. So right. I actually have, have uh, spreadsheets that I've created where I have different things I track, you know, from different groups, and you can see the parallels. This is not even unique to any of these splinter groups. These concepts and these methods apply across the board to most, if not maybe even all of them. I can't say that for sure because I'm not familiar with all of them. There's thousands out there, but it is certainly uh, something that we run into over and over again. And I think what's so important in that is how do you know you're right? If you're not asking questions and you're not really investigating and digging into this stuff, how are you so confident that you're right? Right. And John, this is a little this is a little off topic, but I just want to shoot back to the eagle thing. We had so many eagle figurines in our house. They were everywhere. And my dad had this crew neck sweatshirt that had like a big eagle on it that was definitely too tight for him. Um, I can picture it. I haven't thought of this in forever. Um, but gosh, yeah, all these eagle figurines, yeah. people would get them for him for his birthday. And I think my assumption, though, based on that, was that the eagle was like the leader because he was seen as the prophet. So it's interesting to me that the eagle is actually the follower, but he still was kind of a follower of Brenham. So I'm not sure exactly how they <laughs> applied the symbolism themselves. I feel a little confused by that. But good heavens, eagles everywhere. It, it, it's such a funny thing if you take a step back. I mean, so we live in Jeffersonville, far from where you would picture eagles. And every once in a while, I see an eagle. And I see it swoop down, and I see it eating whatever animal got killed on the side of the road. Mm. Well, William Branham, when he said these things, he didn't even look to see if what he was saying was correct. And they became doctrine, like fundamental doctrines to the cult. He claimed in this eagle theology that we're eagles because eagles don't eat carry-on. Eagles don't eat roadkill. It's the vultures that do. And he started calling non-cult members vultures while he called his cult members. And he didn't even know that eagles actually, it's the same type of bird. They both eat meat that is decaying flesh. And I remember when we first left the group, I had, 
I've told this to a few people. I had never, ever heard the gospel when I was in the cult. I heard what they called was the gospel, but it was not the gospel, not even close. And as I left the group and I'm starting to just read and reread the Bible and try to read it for what it says instead of what I was told, I was still of the mindset that we were still under old covenant law because that's what he taught. And the first time that I read that passage that eagles is is among the birds that is considered to be an abomination by God, I'm like, no, this can't be. This this can't be right. <laughs> we we were abominations. This can't be right. And there are so many people that I mean, there are people in the north I've talked to who are in the cult in areas where there are hundreds of eagles. And they are aware that eagles eat roadkill. They have seen them as they're driving to work. They've seen them right by the side of the road eating the deer that got hit by a car. And yet they don't really think about it because they're so manipulated into upholding whatever opinion that this guy had that they don't even care if it's right in front of their face outside of the windshield that it's the opposite of what he said. They're still going to hold to his opinion. And honestly, that applies to this Russian situation. I don't care if we've been through World War I and the world didn't end, and we've been through World War II and the world didn't end. I don't care because my prophet said this, that, or the other. And I don't care if he changed his mind and, and this quote-unquote prophecy was polar opposite from what he claimed by the end of his life. I don't care because my opinion is that he's right. And this broad spectrum of what could be right, even though it's internally conflicting and completely proven failure at this point, I don't care because he said it, and I'm going to hold to that opinion. And I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care about love of another person. I'm going to ridicule them into the ground because my opinion is more valuable than my own son, than my own daughter, than my own brother or sister or friend or acquaintance. I don't care that these people in Ukraine are dying. I don't care as long as my opinion turns out to be right. That's really what they're saying. So Naomi, wrapping this up, if you were to give advice to the many, many people who are struggling right now with this situation in Ukraine, what advice would you give? I think my first piece of advice is related to what you just ended with. And that is for those of you, and I know you're out there because I've spoken with some of you, those of you who are really struggling and feel just so exasperated is the best word I think for this by the people who are so inflexible. They're so rigid in their thinking that they are saying, I will choose this man over God. I will follow this leader over the Bible. There are limits in our power of influence ourselves and on what we can do. If people choose not to listen and they are unwilling to have a conversation, we cannot force them to have that conversation. We have to recognize that we are limited. <laughs> we are finite and we, we do what we can do. We create content, John, and we, you, we publish things and we talk to people and we, and those of you who are, who are engaging people as well, like, gosh, it is, it is a tough role to take on. It, it has to come from a place of love and resiliency and perseverance. There are people out there who they're not going to want to hear it. And we, we need to accept that. 
it doesn't mean that we're okay with it. We might not feel good about it, but there's a a degree of acceptance that's needed, or we're just going to completely exhaust and wipe ourselves out and we're going to burn ourselves out. And we're not going to have the conversations with the people who really need help. And so that is one piece of advice is to consider this idea of acceptance. And here's a key difference. When I accept that someone's not in a place, at least right now, because maybe it would change. But if I accept that someone's not in a place right now for the conversation, I don't then think, well, damn you, you're going to get what you deserve. I then think, Lord, please soften their hearts. Please may, may whatever, whatever their need, like may this turn around for them. Please have mercy on them. Like Jesus, when he, Jesus, when he was saying, you know, it is finished and he's saying, have Forgive them for what for they know not what they do. Forgive them for they know not what they do. That's the heart position that I want to embody. Not one of give them what they deserve, God, and in that hateful heart position. So that is another piece of it. And additionally, for anyone who's just concerned and has fear about what's going on in general um, with Russia and the Ukraine, I don't know what's going to happen as far as a world war we don't know. We don't know what that's going to look like. If you are a Christian, you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, if that is the the faith that you subscribe to, if you believe that that's true, then we are told that you're going to be fine. Now, it doesn't mean you're not going to suffer. It doesn't mean it's not going to be hard. It doesn't mean that we're not ever going to feel scared (laughs) because we're human and we feel scared. And so that can happen and that's okay. But we, we believe that at the end of it all, like it's going to be made right and we're going to be okay. And so that is a hope that we hold on to. For those of you who are in the cult right now and you are just, or you're out of it, but you're just you're, you're having these flashbacks, you know, you're having this PTSD related to what you've been told. Ask, listen to this episode a second time, read the articles John has, has put out, do some research and ask some of those questions that we've posed to you in this conversation. How is this different? What is the evidence? Because we were taught that we didn't need evidence for anything. We just needed someone to say, thus saith the Lord. We need evidence. And we were even, even God gave us evidence. Again, if you identify as Christian, you look at the Bible, it's like, okay, we consider this evidence. You have evidence. We're, we're not taught to not ask questions. We're not taught to not have evidence. That is directly incongruent with scripture. Jesus asked a lot of questions of people. And we are told by Paul to have a reason for the faith that we have. Um, and so, again, don't just sit with it and give into it. Challenge it, think critically, and know that it's okay to do so. You're not outside of your faith by asking a question and having some doubt and wondering. And I know you haven't been told that, but you have permission to doubt and to wonder. The Bible mentions the believers in Berea that had doubts. They questioned it. They did not believe it at first, and so they sought it out. And they converted to Christianity. I mean, this is a story in the Bible describing exactly this. And just to reiterate what you're saying, I so these people who are contacting me who are in the cult, who are just ridiculing me, I don't respond that I'm right and you're wrong because William Branham said this or that or the other. My thoughts don't even go there. 
I like, I, I don't even care. It, they could be right. I really don't even care. That's not my greatest concern. I look at, whenever they start talking about this, I, I think back to what it was like to be under that crippling fear. So my very first thought is, oh my gosh, they're children. There are children who are struggling because they're putting them under this crippling fear. Or, you know, even as an as adults, there are some adults that are that have struggles anyway, right? They they're more susceptible to this type of fear. So they they're really struggling. And especially when under their they're under that type of mindset where the cult leaders are just beating them down with fear. So my, my thought goes to them. My, my thought is, how can I help them? How can I make it so that they're not struggling, even if they're under this oppression, right? I don't even care if they're right or wrong. I don't care if I'm right or wrong. It doesn't matter. What matters, I mean, look at the people in Ukraine. Look how they're suffering because of this. That's really what matters. The people who are suffering in Ukraine, the people who are crippled by fear through this manipulation, that's what matters to me. So... Again, if, you know, history helps me, it may help some people out there. If you, if you can look at the history and understand that this is nothing new, it has happened before. If the world doesn't end, it's going to happen again. It's going to continue through time. People are going to capitalize on the fear to manipulate the minds of, of people. It's going to happen. But through history, we can learn and we can understand so that, yeah, there's going to be fear. There's no way to eliminate fear. Uh, there are a lot of people, Christian or non-Christian, who fear World War II, but you don't have to be crippled by that fear. You can look back at the examples and you can understand, okay, yeah, I'm scared, but there's absolutely nothing I can do about this fear. I move on and everybody else will move on. And that's that's how you look at it. So I'm really glad we did this, Naomi. This uh, it's off topic. I mean, I actually have my notes up for the series of questions that we're going to talk through. And I just, my heart wasn't in it. And we talked about it before and we decided to go this direction. But we'll get back into the questions. And I just want, I want people to, you know, not struggle so much through this. And I'm glad we did this. I agree. Yeah, thanks for this conversation, John. Uh, we hope that it, it serves everyone out there who's listening to it. And yeah, this was fully unscripted. We're never really scripted, but we have notes. <laughs> so this this was nothing like that. So again, we gave you a reasonable best today, and we, we, hope in, we hope that it serves. Naomi and John, raw and uncut. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't swear! <laughs> If you have questions that you'd like to hear answered on our show, please send them to us. You can contact us on the contact page at freeandclearshow.com, and we would love to hear from you. We want to help you become free and clear. Free and clear.